Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc, on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about our church or to support us financially, visit newgrace.cc. Look with me at Luke 17. Jesus said, likewise, in verse 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus, like it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Today I want to start a three-week series entitled, The Days of Lot. The Days of Lot. It doesn't take you long to see that major events that are happening in our world used to be a thing where it was like every month there was some big event that landed on our radar in this country that got our attention and made us wonder, hmm, are we in the end times? But then it appeared to be like it was an every week thing. Something would happen in our country and we would say, hmm, is this near the end? Is Jesus about to come back? And now it's almost every single day. There's something else always unfolding globally, or maybe even in our own nation, that causes us to look and wonder, is Jesus about to come back? Are we about to see the the apocalyptic literature of Revelation become a living reality right here in the end of the 21st century? Is this where we are? Is this what's about to happen? We're in an election year right now. A lot of our minds go back four years ago, the last time there was an election year, and all the things that befell our country. And I know my crowd enough, and I know this demographic enough, there's a lot of people with tinfoil hats and Bible truth, and they say, hey, something is probably going to happen. I don't dismiss such an argument. I don't dismiss such an idea. I think a lot of us have our head on a swivel for a reason. We are not ignorant. We are not negligent. We don't have our heads stuck in the sand, acting like everything's all right. Well, God will take care of that. Well, God's going to take care of that. Have you read the rest of your Bible? Are you you in tune as to what Jesus has told us about the last days? And every time this happens, you wonder if it's actually already in place over here in America and you wonder how that plays into the end times and how that plays into the next chapter of what's going on. Our entire country and our entire government almost seems like it's on the verge of anarchy itself and it can't help you echo and make the same request that John made in Revelation chapter 22 and 20 where he said, even so come Lord Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is not leaving you and I without understanding. In fact, he's telling his disciples what the season and the times of the world are going to look like at his return. 
He does this in Luke 17, he does it in Matthew 24, and he does it in Mark chapter 13. And he tells us in Luke 17 specifically that his coming, watch this now, his second coming and his return is going to be modeled after two distinct time periods. He tells us about the days of Noah, then he tells us about the days of Lot. It's interesting to note that both of those days are marked representing what it looks like for a saved person during the end times. The days of Noah, Noah was saved. The days of Lot, Lot was saved. There's a difference between Noah and Lot. Noah was a faithful believer who did something with his life. Lot is a foolish believer who wasted his life. And the Bible teaches and tells us that both of these days represent or symbolize what the last days prior to Jesus's return will look like. And in Luke chapter number 17, Jesus gives us some very specific insight as to how the days of Lot are a side-by-side in comparison to the days of his return. When I get done with today, next Sunday, and the Sunday after, the next three Sundays, You are going to look at this world and your life differently because when I show you what the days of Lot look like, you will realize that we are smack dab in the middle of it right here in 2024. This week, today, I want to talk about those living in the days of Lot. Those living. That's my first subheading. Those living in the days of Lot. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about those leaving in the days of Lot. And the last Sunday, we're going to talk about those left in the days of Lot. A lot of y'all have wondered, what's it going to be like if you are left here when the judgment of God is poured out on this planet? What is it going to be like if you are living in the events that unfold in the book of Revelation? You need to be here for week three. You need to be here for week two. And I'm glad you're here today for week one. Verse 28, notice what it said. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, They planted, they build. What's this? Lot relocated to this region where there was a city called Sodom, Gomorrah, and several other cities. And according to Jesus, watch this, where Lot was living in the city of Sodom, according to Jesus in verse 28, keep it up there, keep verse 28 up there. According to Jesus, people living in the days of Lot We're living in what you and I would call, what's this? Normal, everyday life. That looks like normal, everyday life. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. This is everyday life. This is everyday living. Look, they were living want to want, need to need. It's obviously a consumer-driven culture. It's obviously a success-oriented culture. But if you'll notice in verse 28, there is absolutely no mention of God. There is no mention of focus or knowledge of the Lord. You've got a society. Watch this. You've got people of every age, of every demographic, in the days of Lot, living their life based want-to-want, need-to-need, consumer-driven, success-oriented, but living this busy life without God. My, that 
That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Sounds kind of similar to the generation living in our current times. In fact, the days of Lot and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are are uh, consistently revealed all throughout the Bible. Listen again to the similarities I'm going to share with you. In Genesis 13, we are introduced to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we are told that it was a well-watered land. It was fertile grounds. It was perfect for residential and commercial development. In, in fact, Sodom and Gomorrah would have had a billboard on it that said, come to Sodom and Gomorrah and live out your greatest dreams. However, the Bible also tells us in chapter 13 that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were godless and exceedingly sinful. The rulers, according to Genesis 14, and the leaders were in a state of conflict and war. There was a cry against the city and its heavy sin. In fact, the sin is called heavy. God refers to it as heavy, bothersome, weighty. We don't know if the, if the cry coming to God concerning the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was God's holiness, God's angels, God's people, or just creation itself calling out. But in Genesis 18, we learn that God now acknowledges there is a problem, a sin problem in Sodom and Gomorrah. In Jeremiah chapter 23, Sodom and Gomorrah is compared to the prophets and the people of Jerusalem in that it is full of adultery, lies, false ideologies, and supporting corrupt people who live with unrepentant lifestyles. I'm going somewhere this morning. Yet Jeremiah says that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were high in their pride, while Ezekiel 16 tells us that the world of Sodom and Gomorrah and the days of Lot were filled with social success and social accomplishments. Jude tells us in his letter of the New Testament that Sodom and Gomorrah gave themselves over to sexual acts going after, he says, strange flesh, and they are perverting that which was natural. Sexual depravity was rampant in the city and the people of those days. In fact, the word sodomy, the word sodomy, which is a word used to identify a perverse sexual act, comes from the name of the city, Sodom. People willingly and openly participated in homosexual activity, defying the original design for God's creation and God's covenant of marriage. The one thing about same-sex relationships that is different from any other sexual activity is that it is never able to be compatible with God's covenant or God's creation. It is always repentable. It is always forgivable. But two people of the same sex cannot stay in a relationship and be compatible with God's design for marriage or his covenant for marriage. This was the days of Lot. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And then when you get to the actual story, see, Jesus in Luke 17 is referencing a story that happened in Genesis 18 and 19. And when you get to Genesis chapter 18, you realize that God is talking to Abraham, three men appearing in the, in the form, the Lord appearing in the form of three men particularly one of them, the angel of the Lord, has a conversation with Abraham after telling him that he's going to have the promised seed of Isaac. And then he tells him that he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Abraham is alarmed at this because his nephew, Lot, who is also a believer, has allowed himself to slip into the city and the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham begins to plea on Lot's behalf. And when you get to chapter number 19, 
two of the three men, which are actually angels, go into the city prior to bringing destruction to Sodom and Gomorrah. They go into the city to talk to Lot. Why are they going to talk to Lot? They're going to tell him, hey man, if there's anybody that you care about, you need to get out of this city right now because we're about to bomb this thing and take it off the map. And so when they go into the city, these two angels who have appeared in the, appearing in the form of men, obviously Lot or anybody in the city does not know that these are angels. They're apparently very attractive and very beautiful in their physical appearance. They come to Lot's house and they want to stay in the street. They say, we'll sleep in the street. Lot says, no, 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 I'm inviting you in. I insist you come in. Lot knows what will happen if these men stay on the streets of this preferred city. He brings them inside. They sit down. He serves them dinner. They're preparing to rest and go to sleep for the night. And the Bible says, go to the actual story, Genesis 19, verse number four. I've got it on the screen. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, come past the city and the house, oh, I'm sorry, come past the house round about, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Know is a term for sexual relations. Lot's residence is surrounded by the men of the city, both old and young. Young in the Hebrew means young adolescent boy all the way to the age of 20. Young adolescent boy, all the, all the way to the age of 20. That's what the Hebrew means there. The men of the city, young and old, want Lot to hand over his guests so they can have them weigh with them sexually, hence rape them. Notice that their sin was public and it was openly paraded in a spirit of pride. They willingly, openly, publicly paraded their sin to Lot's front door. This city has given itself over to the acceptance and lawlessness of rape, abuse, and pedophilia. Paul said it like this, referring to the signs of these times in Romans 1.26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. God says, you want to do that? You want to be that? I will give you over. I'll let you have what you want. You will reap the results of what you want, but I will give you over to it. God says this. I can't stand it when I hear people say, I'm not a fan of the God of the Old Testament. I like the God of the New Testament. Uh, listen to me. He's the same God. He's the same God. And he is just as just as he is merciful. I'll say that again. He is just as just as he is merciful. He is a God of mercy, but he's also a God of truth. He will not compromise either one of those attributes regarding himself. And he says this in verse number 27, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet or measured out against them. Keep going with the story. Verse number six, Lot went out at the door unto them. He shut the door after him. So they're at the door. These men of the city, both young and old, have come to the door. The angels, the two men, are inside Lot's home. And so Lot goes out and he shuts the door behind him as to mediate between this crowd of people and these men inside of his house. And notice what he says in verse seven. I said, and said, I pray you, brethren, 
Do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Now, this is disturbing. Lot comes out of his house and he pleads with these men not to do this wicked thing. And in an attempt to appease these lust-crazed men, he offers up his two virgin daughters. Now, we learn from the rest of the context that his virgin daughters are engaged, but they are still living at home. And he offers up his daughters in exchange for the men in his house. Now, why would he do that? There's a, there's a few theories. One, he knows that they are of same-sex attraction and desire and that they will not receive the women. This gives him time to figure out what to do next. Secondly, they're engaged. We would, they would call that betrothed. He offers up the virgin daughters who are betrothed to men who will step in and take matters in their own hands. Or the third theory, which is the one I am persuaded of, here is a person who believes that Yahweh is the one true God of Abraham who believes that God will redeem humanity by giving the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, to be the Messiah and the Christ. He believes that, but watch this. He is so ingrained and entrenched in the culture and the society of this city that he now has forgotten exactly who he is. And watch this. He's not just in Sodom. Sodom is in him. And he has blurred the lines by, watch this, it's not that he is careless of his daughters. He has picked up the full scope of Canaanite custom. Canaanite custom is that you protect a guest at all costs, especially if it's a man. Canaanite culture was so warped that you would protect a guest in your home, even if it meant giving up a daughter under your roof. He has become so immersed in the fabric and the nature of these people that he thinks, acts, and talks like them. Sad and sick. That on the outside, you wouldn't even know that he was actually saved. On the outside, you would have never known that the New Testament would have called him a just or a justified man, a righteous or a made righteous man. Verse 9, they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. It's interesting that the men of Sodom are now demanding acceptance of their desires and rejecting the judgment of their sin. I wrote this down. Notice that their demon-driven agenda has fueled rage and violence. Now they're displaying a mob mentality. They are now inducing a riot. And they are rioting against the truth and the righteousness of their sin being called wicked. Their ways were not considered criminal, but constitutional. In their eyes, their sin was lawful and legal yet not in the eyes of God. And it's interesting that their ways were being pushed literally on Lot, trying to bring it into his house. 
They were doing everything they could to bring the perversion through his front door. I wrote this down. Felt like I was led of the Lord to tell you the enemy's goal is to get the perversion, the wickedness, and the evil of this world into your home. You're not hearing me this morning. You're not hearing me this morning. God brought me over here to tell you not to let it in. Keep the door shut. I, listen to me. I don't care what that means for you. I don't care what that says to you. But somebody, somebody has got to bar the door. Somebody has got to stand by the door. I tell you what we need more than anything. We need what Sodom didn't have, what Lot didn't do. We need some men who will get a backbone and a stability about their spirit and stand by the door of their house and say, you know what? You can go against anybody in this neighborhood you want to. But as for me and my house we will serve the Lord like Hebrews in Egypt. We've got blood on this house, on the doorpost and the lintels. This place this place belongs to God. And we will not let you in. We have barred the door. We have blockaded the enemy wanting to get in. I wrote this down. This group of people in Sodom that was parading around the door of his house they probably would have considered themselves woke. They probably would have considered themselves woke. But in reality, God's people are the ones that ought to be woke. Because the Bible tells us to wake up. To wake up out of sleep. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 13? And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I came over here to tell you this morning that we as the people of the living God, we need to wake up. There is an enemy out the door. There's a devil at the door. There's a demon at the door. And you've been asleep on the job. But some men and women of the church of the living God, they need to open their eyes. They need to heed the light of the gospel. And they need to wake up. So busy, consumed with everyday life that all the while under the surface, the darkness and depravity of sin is having its way and it's trying to get in your house. And it'll take whatever means and whatever method it can to get in your house. It'll come through the internet lines. It'll come through the cable, if you still got it. It'll come through the satellite. It'll come through any means necessary. And it's pounding at the door trying to get in to take your children and to take your holiness and to take your testimony. And some of us right now are living in Sodom. And now we got Sodom living in our house because we opened the door. And we are living in the days of Lot. Verse 10, the, but, but the men put forth their hand. That is the men on the inside of the house. Because they pulled Lot into the house to them. The angels reached through the door and they pulled Lot inside and shut the door and they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great. So that the men in their blindness, look how, look how sexually lustfully driven they are. 
that even in blindness, they're still trying to find the handle of the door. The men of the city were struck with blindness by the angels. I wrote this down. They were a generation of people refusing to see the truth. And in refusing to see the truth, God left them to their blindness. Jesus said in John 9, 39, for judgment I am come into this world, that they which see me not might see, and they which see might be made blind, that they which see might be made blind. You know, the, the, the world we live in is filtered and consumed with a society of people that think they see clearly. And the judge of this world who will be returning says in John 9, 39, that they are blind that they might not see. You will never see things the way the world does. The world will never see things the way you do. If you haven't figured it out yet that you're going to be the oddball at your place of employment, you are never going to fit in to your school. I preach this. I bet my kids are sick of hearing it, but I try to tell them all the time, it doesn't matter what you do. You are never, you are not supposed to fit in. You are not supposed to be like them. You're not supposed to talk like them. You're not supposed to live like them. You're not supposed to act like them. You can try it. You can play pretend. You can dress up and focus on image, but you're never going to change your identity. Identity Because I like what we sang a while ago. I am who I... What is it, JJ? I am who I am because the I am tells me. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. You're never going to fix that. You're never going to change that. And hopefully there will come a day where you won't ever want to change that. That you'll fall in love with Jesus. You'll be enamored with who you are. And you will discover that the Christ life is the best life. Those living in the days of Lot were living in a world that appeared to be completely normal on the surface. But underneath, there was a culture and society that was godless, wicked, and demonic. As it was in those days. Come on, JJ, help me close. As it was in those days. So it is living in these days. As it was in those days. So it is living in these days. I just described to you a culture of people that was several thousand years removed from today. A culture of people that did not have the technology that we have, that did not have the advanced knowledge and information that we have, that did not have the discoveries that we have. And when I described them living everyday life, and when I went into what the rest of the Bible says, and then we went to Genesis 19 and literally broke down the story that Jesus is talking to and talking about, if I didn't know any better, I would have thought that I was describing America in 2024. Is that not interesting to you? That is so interesting to me. And here, here's the deal. God was going to deal with humanity. People go on about their life, living every day, every day, every day, doing the thing. And then under the surface, there's that, there's that blanket of sin and debauchery. And that's the world we live in. And that's, that's, the, that's the world that, that some of you lived in. And sadly, that's the world that a few of you may still live in. And you can, here's, here's what's scary about sin. You can commit it and nothing happens to you. You can commit to it 
and nothing happens to you. You can be consumed with it and nothing happens to you. And sometimes you think, I'm getting away with this. I'm getting away with this. Nobody knows. It doesn't matter. It's not hurting anybody. And all the while, the judge is keeping record. And people wonder why I preach the way I preach and enjoy church the way I do because I know that my record has been cleared in heaven. Oh my God, could you imagine having to stand before the Almighty Judge and give an account of every sin you ever committed? Of every act you participated in? Of every secret secret that you kept to the grave that nobody would ever know about? Of everything you did in the dark now being put out in the middle of the light, raw, naked, open, and there's nothing you can do to hide it, reverse it, or erase it? And people wonder why New Grace has such a good time in Jesus. Knowing that the judge brought the gavel down over the evidence of the blood shed on the cross so that you and I could be redeemed and reconciled, justified, delivered from the payment of our sin. I wonder if I got anybody that can call a timeout right now and take a praise break with your preacher over the fact that God did deal with your sin. God did judge your sin. God did handle your sin. And when he did, he plunged it under the fountain of the Savior's blood. Washed, cleansed, eradicated, and erased. Somebody help me praise him. I'm so thankful that Jesus dealt with my sin. Oh, what a wonderful feeling. What a wonderful feeling. No, I'm not done. Y'all sit down. We could have ended right there, but I would miss the bottom line. I'd miss the bottom line. Y'all were like, are we done already? We're almost there. We're almost there. Stay hopeful. We're almost there. But everybody else in Sodom doesn't have what we're preaching about. Everybody else. I take Jesus literal when he says, many, there will be many, many that will end up in hell. And speaking of the narrow path that leads to eternal life, he says, few there be that find it. Few versus many. Few are saved, many are lost. Few are believing, many are unbelieving. In the days of Lot, people were living their life in such a way where they were consumed with success, wants, needs. Their carts were filled and their hearts were empty. Clicking and liking and commenting and scrolling and viewing, absorbing, doing, and becoming. And there was a saved man living a lost life. Saved soul, lost life. Lot made his choice between heaven and hell. And unfortunately, he made the wrong choice with heaven and earth. 
And what Lot forgot, and what the people of Sodom didn't know, is the chapter before, God sat down and struck a deal with Abraham. Abraham went to God and said, concerning these plans you have to bomb Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy the city, could it be that you would you would withhold some of your judgment and and give time for let's just say there's 50 righteous in the city would you would you not destroy it for the sake of 50 and God says I would not destroy it for the sake of 50 and then Lot says what about 45 and he says I would not destroy it for 45 and Lot, and Abraham says what about what about 40 and God says I wouldn't destroy it for 40 and he says what about 30 I wouldn't destroy it for 30 what about 20 I wouldn't destroy it for 20 what about 10 I, I wouldn't destroy it for 10 and what what we see what's this is Lot did not know and Sodom and Gomorrah did not know. The people living in those days had an Abraham that was standing before God, acting as an intercessor and praying, praying for the people that were in the wake and the line of God's judgment. Here is my question. Could you or I act as an Abraham today? Does America have an Abraham? Does your community have an Abraham? Does your family, do your friends, do they have an Abraham? Somebody who is standing before God saying, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk said, in wrath, remember mercy. Could Abraham repeat that prayer request to God to say, in light of what's happening in America, in light of what's happening in my community, in light of what's happening in my family, in light of what's happening in my friends, God, I am standing on their behalf and I am asking you, in wrath, remember mercy. Could you deliver the righteous in these last days, in the days of Lot? Could you be merciful once again? Could you hear my prayer? Could you include me in this plan? Here's what's amazing. Abraham had a warning. Abraham had a warning and he took advantage of that knowledge and he prayed. Sometimes if we're not careful as the church, we will try to get so innovative, so strategic and so creative that we will forget the most powerful breakthrough that we can ever perform would be to pray. Oh, you better believe we're going to promote the mess out of our Commerce Campus launch. We're going to promote the mess out of whatever in the world happens up here in the north. We're going to promote the mess out of it. We're going to be strategic. We're going to do our videos. We're going to do our ads. We're going to do everything we can to boost it. We're going to do everything we can to promote it. We're going to do everything we can to get the word out. But I'm going to tell you the number one thing that the people of God could do in this day, like was done in the days of Lot, is for an Abraham to get on their face, to get on their knees, and to get a hold of the Lord and say, Lord, in your wrath and in your judgment, which you are right in doing so, remember mercy for America's sake for our community's sake for my family's sake for my friend's sake for my dad's sake for my children's sake for our grandchildren's sake for our sake remember mercy when you pray pray for God to move pray for God to give mercy and some of us in the, in the stead of Abraham, we're going to be praying for a miracle. But in Abraham's mind, he was like, there ain't no way Lot's getting out of that. There's no way he's going to be rescued, delivered.
I really want to hear about, I really want to hear about Lot getting rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, you got to come back next week. Because those similarities, they mirror so well what we see happening in the last days and what's going to be happening very soon. Living in the days of Lot is right now. We are living in the days of Lot. And all the things, look at it again when you get home, all the things you see in Sodom and Gomorrah, you see it right now in our country. You see it right now. It's, listen to me. And I know we're nestled down here, tucked away in the south, but it's crawling right over the state lines. It's coming down. Listen to me. Listen to me. And when I say what I'm saying, I'm not even talking from a political perspective, but things are swinging. Things are swinging in a direction of darkness. They're swinging in a place of, of, of allowance and acceptance. And, and before long, what I preach this morning will get you locked up and thrown away. And yeah, you know, if there was probably a county in our country that I would say would probably be one of the last ones to worry about it, it's Banks County. But you can't look at the global scale of where the world is going biblically and act like it ain't ever coming here. Yes, and I know what that makes. I, look, I know y'all, okay? I know what that makes you want to do. I know it makes you want to order more ammo, buy more guns. I know it makes you want to get those drawings out for that underground bunker. Right? I know it does. But more than anything else, here's the deal. I, I bought three guns this weekend. I did. I bought three guns. They bad too, boy. I said, this one will put holes in people. This one will put holes through people. But I'm going to tell you something. If I rely on a bullpup shotgun, I'm going to lose this battle. A lot of people, a lot of people clutching a handgun in times like this and clutching values and clutching tradition and clutching money while their kids are letting go and slipping off into hell. Because you are trying to fight a spirit war with a fleshly weapon. Abraham, Abraham didn't go in there and play politics. Abraham didn't go in there and try to persuade. You know what Abraham did? He stood before God. Genesis 18 says that. He stood before God and he interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what the days of Lot need? While we're living in the days of Lot, somebody needs to be praying in the days of Lot. We are living in the days of Lot. We need to be praying in the days of Lot. If you believe that and you agree with me this morning, let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Come on. We need to be praying in the days of Lot. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted each week on Tuesday.